Today, I want to conclude this series we've been in, the book of Genesis, called Far From the Shallow. And the book of Genesis is a lot like a novel that you're reading or a show that you are watching that you keep being pulled into the next episode. In other words, you don't know the full storyline, you don't know the complete picture unless you read the next event. And that's not only true in the book of Genesis, but that is also kind of true in the Bible. So Genesis leads into Exodus, and you see repeated themes that come up in the book of Exodus, and that, that's true from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament as well. And so we have traveled a long way uh, through the book of Genesis, and we have come from Adam to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this line of descent is tracing out the beginning of a new nation that will be named Israel. And as we've done a deeper dive, we need to remember that this is just the beginning of the story. This beginning continues on through the Old Testament and eventually comes to its peak and its climax in the person of Jesus Christ. What we find, though, is there's not only the story of those that are chosen, but those that are kind of displaced as well. So there's a lot of brothers' stories that you find in the book of Genesis. We talked a little bit about Cain and Abel and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. And today, today is another brother's story as well. And the brother's story is between Joseph and his other siblings, the other brothers that he had. And you might be familiar with the basic outline of the Joseph story. It was turned into a Broadway production, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And uh, so you might be kind of familiar with it. But what you might not understand is the role this is playing in this long story. You see, the only way to understand the book of Genesis is to understand it in light of the nation of Israel's later experience. Later, they will be in exile to a country named Babylon. And it seems as though the book of Genesis is looking back. And as it is looking back, what it is doing is telling us how God got this nation through all these hard times. And God continues to up the dream factor to continue to point forward so that God will continue to be trusted in the next chapter of these individuals' lives. Now, Joseph is a favored son. He is an individual that is the favorite of his father, Jacob. You need to keep that in the back of your mind because you won't understand this story unless you understand this. If you grew up in a family that had more than one child, you probably felt at times that parents favored your brother or your sister more than you. And so I, that takes me back a long ways where, I don't know how many of you remember the Smothers Brothers from eons ago where Tommy Smothers always said, Mom always liked you best, okay? That's the story of Joseph. And what we find is that there is a series of portraits that we have been looking at. Abraham is a wanderer and a worshiper. Isaac was a well digger. Jacob is a wandering wrestler. But... All of this is telling us that Joseph is the way maker. And I don't think the brothers understand that the dreams that God gave to Joseph were for their own good. In, order, in other words, when famine hits the land, it is Joseph 
that is going to be put in charge to enable them to survive. And the way I came up with the title of this message, uh, Joseph the Waymaker, actually comes from chapter 41, verse 43. Uh, as he is elevated in the nation of Egypt, there is this statement that is made about him in verse 43. Pharaoh had him ride in a chariot, that is Joseph, as second in command, and people shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus he uh, put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So as people are to make way for Joseph, we might call him the way maker because he is put in charge in order to bring about a blessing for other people. Now that does not minimize uh, the amount of hate and jealousy that the older brothers uh, had of Joseph because let's face it, Joseph in many respects was uh, an individual that is kind of a boot-licking daddy's boy, okay? And he is an individual that's blessed with dreams, he's blessed with the ability to interpret dreams, he's blessed with physical physique and beauty and the favoritism of his father. And all of these gifts that we all would envy actually lead to his downfall. Jacob, his father, even made him a beautiful robe. Now, the production says Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. Uh, we don't know if it's a coat of many colors or whether it is a robe that just shows favored status. Uh, an alternate translation is a long-sleeved robe. And we might say that this garment that he wore was sort of like a five-star general patch on a uniform, okay? In other words, it's showing this is the guy that you're going to uh, uh, obey, that you're going to follow. And the real kicker is in all of this, every time the brothers see Joseph wearing this garment, it just keeps bringing back all the favoritism that is being given to Joseph. So the robe sing signifies something more than just a favored garment. It signifies the future. It signifies what is coming down the line. Now, what's even worse about Joseph is he's a tattletale. And so here is this favorite son that goes out and sees his brothers taking care of the herds and will come back and report to dad. And as he does so, uh, Joseph basically has the opinion, you know, my brothers don't take care of the flock as well as I do, or I would. And so this sets him on edge with the brothers as well. So think about the book of Genesis. It's full of sibling rivalry. So if you don't get along with your brother or your sister, you're in good stead, okay? Because it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. You have Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau and now Joseph and his brothers. But this particular story is talking about uh, the entire nation. Think about the nation of Israel all through the Old Testament and even into our common era, it is a story of one big sibling rivalry. A lot of the news that come out of the Middle East has to do with these roots of sibling rivalry. And so these 12 tribes that will come from his brothers anticipate, in many respects, the split of the kingdom. And you might say that sibling rivalry is almost like a civil war in miniature. And so we've been talking a little bit about Juneteenth. We've been talking a little bit about uh, recognizing this emancipation of a group of people 
but it took a civil war to make that happen. Well, Joseph is given two dreams, and these dreams uh, seem to indicate God's calling upon his life. And we read one of them where there are these sheaves of grain that bow down to him. And what we find is this, these dreams will cause the brothers to take advantage of an opportunity. One time when Joseph is coming out to spy on his brothers, the brothers go, here comes the dreamer. And you can read all of this in chapters 36 through 50 of Genesis. And as they see him coming, they say, let's kill him. Let's kill him. But there is a couple of individuals that step in. There's a guy by the name of Reuben, well, that's a brother, and the other is Judah, who plays a prominent role later in history. But what we find is they intercede and they say, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. And so they sell him off to a caravan of Ishmaelite traders. These are business people that are transporting goods to Egypt. And what we find is the brothers get some quick cash, and then they get rid of the problem. The brother is the problem. So here we go again, all over again, this brotherly incident. Think of blood when you think of Cain and Abel. Think of deception when you think of Jacob and Esau. Both elements are in this act as well. So Jacob hears the news after the brothers come back. They take his ornamented robe and they dip it in blood. And they say, our brother was killed by a wild animal. And Jacob is grieved. He's devastated. His favorite son uh, from his favorite wife is death, dead. And we find Joseph in a foreign land. As he is carted off to Egypt, he's in exile from his father, and he is in exile from the favoritism of his father. And what we find, though, is God is still working behind the scenes. And as God is working behind the scenes, he is sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a very powerful, rich individual. And Joseph is this individual that uh, comes into the house of Potiphar. He's going to be a steward uh, for Potiphar. The only problem is Joseph is too good looking. And Potiphar's wife is overwhelmed with his beauty. And she makes a pass at him. And when he refuses, then the wife of Potiphar then turns him in, and he is thrown into prison. And in prison, we think this young man is probably going to rot away. But God has a plan for him. God has a dream for him. God has a destiny for him. And it is there, two individuals out of Pharaoh's court, the cupbearer and the baker, are thrown into prison. Evidently, Pharaoh thought that there was some type of conspiracy to overthrow him, and in those day and age, in that day and age, how do you get rid of a pharaoh? Well, you poison their drink or you poison their food. So these two individuals are thrown into prison, and it is there that Joseph meets them. One night they have dreams. And these dreams indicate their own destiny and their own dreams. And what we find is that the uh, baker and the cupbearer are given these dreams, but both have different endings. The cupbearer, we're told, is going to be restored to his position. The baker, we're told, will be hung. 
And the reason that we know what's to come is because Joseph steps in as the interpreter of these dreams. And he gives recognition to God that God is the one that interprets dreams. God is the one that gives dreams and helps dreams come true. Obviously, the cupbearer was overwhelmed with joy, and the baker was not so much because of the destiny that these dreams were telling. But Joseph says, as the cupbearer is restored to his position, remember me. If you have an audience before Pharaoh, remember me. Well, the cupbearer doesn't. Two years go by. After two years, Pharaoh himself has some dreams. And these dreams are also indicative of what is to come. And he has people in charge that are supposed to interpret these dreams for him, but they couldn't. These dreams are of plump cows and sickly cows. And they go, well, there's seven healthy cows and there are seven sick cows. What does this mean? And so what we're told is that Joseph is summoned from prison to interpret the dream and the interpretation is this. You're going to have years of plenty, and you're going to have years of want. You're going to have years of abundance, and you're going to have famine. And so Pharaoh is intrigued by this interpretation. And so he places Joseph second in command to come up with a plan to help the nation survive. And what we're told is that Joseph says, in the abundant Continue to save the grain. In the abundant years, store it up because you will be saved, but you will also be able to help other people as well. And so what we find is that um, they begin to save all this grain in the abundant years. And then the hard years hit. And when the hard years hit, what we find is that Jacob and his family run out of food. And they hear that there's supply down in Egypt so Jacob sends his boys down to Egypt to see if they can buy some grain. It is there that we find he, they meet Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph looks different, obviously. He's dressed differently now. But what we find taking place is Joseph recognizes them. And Joseph then begins to see if they've changed at all. Are they different? Is their character deeper? And so Joseph then accuses them of coming down to spy on them. And he decides what he's going to do is hold back one of the young men. Joseph hears the story about his brother from the same mother. His name is Benjamin. And Pharaoh insists that if they're going to come back a second time to get more grain, they need to bring Benjamin with them. And so what we find is that Joseph gives them all that they need to go back to their land. And as they go back, they tell Jacob the bad news. And the bad news is this. If we are going to have any more grain, we need to bring Benjamin back with us. And Jacob doesn't want to do that because Rachel is his favorite wife. He only has two sons by her. He's already, he thinks, lost one. That is Joseph. How can he lose Benjamin as well. Fast forward, as the story comes to an end, what we find is that Joseph then sees the brothers coming back with Benjamin. And it comes to this point where Joseph then has to turn away because he's overwhelmed 
with emotion. And he reveals himself to be the brother. And what we find is at that point, we see that he indicates that it is God that put him in this position to actually save his dad, his brothers, and the entire nation of Israel from the famine that came. Now, let me ask you this. That's the story in a nutshell. There's a little other lines of thought in that. But in a quick summary of all those chapters, here is Joseph who had a dream, lost a dream, found a dream bigger than himself. When he first had this dream, your sheaves are going to bow down to mine, they go, what, you think you're going to rule over us? And Jacob, this favored son, is all about himself. He's all about himself. But through the pain and through the circumstances, what we find taking place is he changes in his character. He becomes deeper. He becomes wiser. And he begins to have more insight that this isn't just his story. It's the story of his entire family. It's the story of an entire nation. And he begins to understand at this point that maybe God was behind all of this, that all the pain that I had to go through was to mature me. All the pain that I had to go through was to put me in a position where I could help someone else. When we go through pain, when we go through sorrow, when we go through frustration, when we go through all those things that we think are a curse, many times God is still working behind the scenes as the way maker so that he can allow us to become a way maker in the lives of other people. And that's the story of Joseph. He becomes a way maker by the by, that allows the nation to survive. And so we come to the end of the book, and Joseph has two sons. These two sons are Ephraim and Manasseh. And at the end of the book, Jacob is about to die, and Joseph brings Jacob's grandsons, and he's going to bless them. And of course, it's always thought that the firstborn, the oldest, was the one that deserved the blessing. But as Joseph brings the two boys up, Jacob crosses his hand and puts his right hand on the younger son. And what we find is, again, this story of the younger sibling is the one God is going to use. When you feel maybe that you're not, I guess the word is exalted in God's eyes, that you're nobody, that God doesn't take account of you. Just remember these stories all through Genesis. It's the younger brother that goes counterculture, that is the one that receives the blessing of being a type of person that can bring a blessing to someone else. So let me summarize this in this way. There are a few reasons the story of Joseph takes up so much space in the book of Genesis. It shows that God is using people as the way forward. And Joseph is the way maker. He is the destiny for this newly formed nation whose story will continue through the rest of the Old Testament. It also sets up some political problems for the nation that comes in later books of the Old Testament. However, I think what it tells us is, you know who God uses? Flawed people like me. Imperfect people like me. That God is up to using the miscues and shortcomings of people 
just like me. And it's a reminder that sometimes in life, we are placed in a particular place for a particular purpose. And this is what the story of Joseph is to remind us of. From a literary point of view, boy, this story is slow and drawn out. But I don't think God wants us to miss the point. The key is the spelling out of the details that real life is lived in real situations where dreams live and dreams die, where dreams come to the surface and then dreams are buried, where dreams are such that maybe we have been so disappointed so often in life that we just dare not dream anymore. But let me say, if your dreams are only about you, your dreams are too small. You see, Joseph's dreams were not just about him. Maybe we're like Joseph. Maybe we have to rise from a position of privilege and self-centeredness to a position of wholeness, where Joseph represents the fact that he ultimately is used by God for the sake of other people as well. So Juneteenth was yesterday. And here we are in the month of pride. And God put this church in this place, in this moment of time, to say, the doors are flung open to you, my brothers and sisters in the LGBTQI community. 